This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, sadly flying solo today, folks. Sadly flying solo. Dave Martinez, just uh, sometimes the technology glitches come and you got to just manage them. Today on Seeing Red, I'll break down the victory in the New York Derby, the season sweep, three straight matches against NYCFC. I'm going to talk to Michael Lewis, soccer writer at Big Apple Soccer and Newsday, and then I'll get to a whole bunch of your emails. It'll be a compact Seeing Red because um, I think that the gods are, are against the original Voltron. The podcast gods somehow are, are not uh, not kind. Nevertheless, let's go back to last Sunday. New York, Red Bull's full house at Red Bull Arena. As fantastic an atmosphere as I can possibly remember. This is definitely one of the top four or five crowds in Red Bull Arena history. And... The Red Bulls don't disappoint. They weather the storm quite a bit. Luis Robles, a really key save on mixed discarud over the first few minutes of the match. And then, slowly, inexorably, inevitably, the high press goes into effect and starts working to terrific effect. Kamar Lawrence, a terrific curling ball that somehow Jefferson Mena olays through his legs. Right to Bradley Wright Phillips. New York has a lead they would not relinquish. Obviously, Connor Laid stepped up big time, had a few shaky moments early in the match, but as the match went on, Laid definitely grew into the role, took a fantastic ball right off the foot of a Pirlo pass, drove 50 yards uh, down and curled a terrific ball that, that sadly Kleschen put into the 20th row. I think rattled. Sasha's confidence just a little bit for the remainder of the game, but what can you do? Second half, you could see New York City's old, tired legs just not have the energy that the Red Bulls were able to carry. Yes, City came out at the beginning of the second half and attempted to really put their handle and print themselves on the game. New York was able to weather the storm once again, and then over the last 25 minutes of the match... The Red Bulls completely controlled the tempo. They had the majority of the possession. And then uh, a highlight reel moment, another highlight reel moment, folks, from Mike Grella, nutmegging Frank, Frank Lampard, who, aside from a quality opportunity earlier in the, in the first half, did not really show all that much in this game. Grello Megs Lampard passes off to Felipe, who uses one of the city defenders to his own benefit, knocks in the goal short side, 2 nothing the victory, a three-match sweep, nine points for the Red Bulls against NYCFC in their first ever uh, season in the league. Very, very satisfying for Red Bull fans. Um, I'm just going to go right to Bull and Cow. Uh, for me, for the match, I think you have to look at Dax McCarty as your bull. He was all over everywhere, completely controlling. Uh, the tackle on Pirlo was masterful, and uh, the Italian legend definitely not pleased to find himself on his rear end as McCarty motored away with his uh, shrug emoticon brought to life. Um, as for a cow, I think I'm going to have to give it to Jefferson Mena uh, for that ole. On the city side for, for New York, I think Sasha could have ended this game really early. 
a two nothing lead in the first half would have definitely sunk City spirits. So uh, I think we're going to have to give it to Sasha. So Mr. Question, I'm so sorry. Mer to you. I don't want to spend too much time talking about the brawl. Um, I think there were a lot more important events happening. Big ups to the folks at Forza Lucha 3 at uh, Buena Brasa raising nearly $3,000 um, for charity during that fantastic event put on by the Empire Supporters Club. It's certainly sad that a lot of the international press uh, caught wind of the scrap between the city supporters who marched into Bellows looking for a fight, and they got one from the Garden State Ultras, who certainly were in their right to defend their turf. Apparently, these city supporters uh, had mouth guards in their mouths as they were getting ready. I don't know if they were wearing helmets and shoulder pads as well, but they were clearly there on a mission. Of course, absolutely crazy that it's... um, that an AP reporter, an internationally known soccer reporter, happens to be walking by and catching video of this sandwich board scrap on the sidewalk. And that made international news almost more so than the match itself, which is frankly pretty sad and pretty pathetic when you consider the importance of the match, when you consider how meaningful it was, when you consider the sold-out nature, the amazing atmosphere inside the stadium. Um, You know, I hope it's not a sign of things to come. I certainly understand that the league is trying to push this rivalry as best as they can. And let's be perfectly honest, folks, it's a rivalry. It is. It may not be the number one rivalry for the team, but given the vitriol and given the back and forth between the fan bases, um, this has become a very, very important matchup for the league in terms of gaining attention inside the New York marketplace. And you have to give it to the notion that without City FC, the Red Bulls would continue to live uh, almost an anonymous life in the city's press. These matches have grown attention on the Red Bulls as well as the league as a whole. So uh, take that what you will. I want to talk a little bit about Toronto FC, obviously. They are the uh, visitors coming into Red Bull Arena this Saturday night at 7 p.m. Toronto is an enigma wrapped up in a mystery, uh, wrapped up in a riddle. Of course, they've never made the playoffs in their seven years, seven seasons in MLS. But this season, they have Sebastian Giovinco, who is currently all everything in MLS. Second in the league in goals with 16. Third in the league in assists with 11. First in the league in shots and shots on goal. This is a guy that is doing everything. And at the two-thirds poll, or the three-quarter poll, regardless of uh, how you think we are in the year, this this is your league MVP. Um, Of course, when you play New York City's defense every once in a while, you're going to score a lot of goals. Uh, He scores on free kicks. He scores dribbling. He scores picking his head up outside the box. He scores chips. He scores every which way. And New York's defense, which will be quite undermanned during this match. If you haven't heard, Damian Paranel, who actually attempted to punch Jefferson Beta in the face during a uh, waiting for a free kick, a a quarter kick to come in (laughs) in last Sunday's game, is going to be suspended for two matches. Uh, So he'll miss this match against uh, Toronto FC as well as next week's match. Um, 
really not so good. Perrinell's been one of the better players when he's been on the field. Sadly, because of his yellow card accumulation, he will miss three out of four matches for the Red Bulls in a very critical time. Not so good. Oh, and by the way, Kamar Lawrence, all everything left back for the Red Bulls, is injured. He picked up a hamstring knock during that match. And so you have to look for Anthony Wallace or maybe Roy Miller. Miller had a stint at Red Bulls 2 this past week, midweek, as did Zubar, who played 35 minutes, as did Anatole Bong. Um, so really using the Red Bulls 2 team as a reserve team to more traditional use. Nevertheless, uh, I think the back line for Saturday will be Wallace, Miazga, Wiemet, and Connor Laid, which is fine, except when you're playing Sebastian Giovinco and Josie Altador and Michael Bradley. Let me dig a little bit more into Toronto. Toronto FC, 9-9-4 for 31 points. They have a minus one goal differential. They've given up 38 goals in 22 games. That's a lot of goals. They're fourth in the East and tied for 10th in the league. They're one of the two Eastern teams that the Red Bulls haven't played yet, Chicago being the other. So we, we have two matches against Toronto and three matches against Chicago over the final 12 games of the season. Uh, Toronto has gone 2-2-1 two, two, and one over their last five MLS matches. They've scored 11 and conceded 11. They've beaten over that time. They beat Orlando and Philadelphia. Okay. They lost to Kansas City at home last week, and they lost to the Revs, and they drew Columbus on July 25th. Listen to this. They were down 3 nothing at halftime and came back with three second-half goals Giovinco, Colin Warner, and Altidore with a PK in the 89th minute. Uh, Toronto 4-6-3 on the road with a minus-5 goal differential. In addition to Giovinco's amazing stats, Josie has seven goals for the Reds. Michael Bradley, former Metro, making his uh, return to to Red Bull Arena. Three goals and three assists. Benoit Cheru, six assists. This is a team that is collecting former U.S. men's national team forwards. Not only have they signed, do they have Robbie Finley, but they have just signed in the last week Hercules Gomez, who may be ready to go on Saturday night. You may see him in a supporting role coming on, coming back from Mexico. In net should be Joe Bendick, who uh, I guess from a a, a tenure standpoint is is Toronto's number one goalkeeper. He's only 4-6-1 with a two goals against average. Two goals a game. And Toronto gives up 2.1 goals per match on the road, which should give New York a little bit of optimism facing uh, Giovinco in that they, they score a lot of goals. They can't stop anyone from scoring. So it should be very interesting to see what happens on Saturday night. Quickly, before we go to break and before we go to our interview with Michael Lewis, the remaining schedule for New York uh, New York is currently eight points behind D.C. United with four matches in hand after Man City Light did the Red Bulls a favor by beating D.C. 3-1 to last night at Yankee Stadium. So here's, uh, here's what we've got left, folks. Home games versus TFC this Sunday, D.C.U., Chicago, Orlando, Columbus, Montreal, and Philadelphia. All those clubs, except for D.C., New York is above in the standings. They only have five away matches, and two of them 
are to Toyota Park in Chicago, or Bridgeview, which has been the traditional house of horror for the Red Bulls over their tenure. Additional road trips, the one western road trip that remains is Portland away in late September. New York also has to visit Toronto and visit New England. And then, uh, and that's what she wrote. That That is the MLS schedule. We are really down to it. So uh, I can't break for our interview before giving a prediction. Um, I think Giovinco is going to be tremendous uh, for Toronto. I think he's going to get a brace in this match. I think New York's going to be able to counter with two goals of their own. I think a 2-2 draw is in the offing. I am hoping that the uh, second-choice defense, and I mean that with no insult, but this is a second-choice defense for New York, is able to somehow contain um, Bradley, who has got to be desperate to make a big splash in his return to New Jersey, as well as Josie and, of course, Giovinco. When we're back, we've got Michael Lewis of BigAppleSoccer.com. You're listening to Seeing Red. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin flying solo this week. Very sad to fly solo, but I'm very happy that we have longtime friend of the show and frequent guest, although not for a little while. It's Michael Lewis from BigAppleSoccer.com and Newsday. How are you today, Michael? I'm very good. Great to be back. Great to have you. So I know it's a, a few days in the rear view at this point. Give me your general impressions on the Red Bulls' performance, the 2 nothing win against City on the weekend. You know, you can't ask, for, first of all, anything better for the Red Bulls than a, a, a 2 nothing shutout at home against your Derby rival. I'm not going to say arch rival yet, although it's getting there to, to complete a, a series sweep. Doesn't get too much better than that. Yes, NYCFC uh, did have the first so 15 minutes uh, to itself, but it, it was almost like the Red Bulls were playing rope a dope with, um, like Muhammad, Muhammad Ali used to do with boxing, tire out the other team. I don't know if that was Jesse Marsh's actual strategy, but it seemed like um, they were just sitting back a bit, and then all of a sudden they just said, okay. Boom, let's flex our muscles and show them what we're all about. And um, they had a, a, a very good, very solid performance there. What does it mean for a team that's come out and said, yes, we're going to be young, we're going to sign a young 25-year-old DP instead of guys 10-plus years his senior? Um, talk to me about the philosophies of the two teams and how that played out on the field on Sunday. Well, you know, that this was a bold approach by the Red Bulls. Uh, I go with the approach. You need at least one star or superstar on your team in a market like New York. Um, that doesn't preclude them going after someone perhaps next year, but what the Red Bulls have done and even Mike, you know, under the uh, regime of uh, Ali Curtis and Jesse Marsh and even, Mike Pecky, who was coached last year, had alluded to he wanted to go younger this year. Um, they wanted to go younger, which meant faster, maybe a little less ex- experienced. And I'll put that in quotes because mm-hmm. experience can mean so many different things. If you're playing in the Argentine League and you're 25, I'd like to think you're very experienced because you've <laughs> played there for about a decade already, and that league is not an easy league. But 
you know, there are two different philosophies. It's almost like NYCFC is the old Metro Stars philosophy. Bring in the stars and um, things will just fall together and people will come and watch them play. There's no doubt that they're attracting audiences and attendances to Yankee Stadium. However, you're talking about players, you know, in their early to mid-30s. Some past their prime. I'm not saying they're over the hill, but they're not the same players. Frank Lampard and Andrea Pirlo are, are not necessarily the same players as they once were, although they can still create magic, but how often can they do it? Um, against a younger team with the Red Bulls, um, maybe uh, full of more enthusiasm because they have something to, to prove. Uh, I'm talking in general terms here. But, sure, sure. Uh, but you know, so far it has worked uh, well for the Red Bulls. Uh, you know, at the um, Jesse, I'm uh, sorry, uh, Jason Kreis uh, uh, after uh, NYCFC's uh, win over DC United the other night, um, he gave credit to the Red Bulls. He said um, they're one of the best teams in the league. So uh, that's not easy for your rival coach to say, perhaps. Right. Um, and I think that that says a lot about the success of the team this year, that they're getting um, uh, applauded from uh, their rival coach across the river. Well, I guess when you, you take three losses to them, I think it's perhaps it's time to kind of say that, yes, this is a quality opponent. Um, who stood out for you for New York uh, during Sunday's match? I mean, obviously there were so many Red Bulls that were able to step up and shine. Were there one or two players that really stood out for you? Well, you know, yeah, there were, were so many. I mean, um, you know, Sasha and, and Dax in the middle, um, you know, Sasha Kolesian, um Letting know, uh, uh, let, letting Pirlo know that uh, he was on the field uh, at both ends, um, playing a, a physical uh, a game against them, um, and, and McCarty just playing his usual fine game, which I know this sounds biased, but I'd like to see him get a chance. Mm-hmm. National team in camp, at least. I'm not saying make the team. I know that there are many fine central and holding defenders out there, but I'd like to see him get a chance. Um, you know, the, 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 the two center backs, uh, Matt Miatska and uh, Damian Perinel, um did a job uh, uh, via, uh, I don't think he scored against the Red Bulls in, in three games. No, no, sir, he did not. Which is remarkable because he has 14 goals against the rest of the league. And I know it's not just those two players, but they, were, they literally had the final word on him. Um, and, and, you know, there were other outstanding performances, um, as well too, but sometimes, you know, as a writer and particularly when I'm writing for a newspaper, I have to write more about the goals and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't get a chance to write about, um, some of the players that did the dirty work that helped the team win, but those four stick out and I'm not trying to forget anyone else, but. That those four really uh, did their jobs and did a job on NYCFC. I want to talk a little bit about the the media and sports media perception of these two clubs because earlier in the show I, I noted that 
the City FC has really kind of raised the bar, frankly, in terms of coverage of the Red Bulls as well this year. That that having the second club in the market, one that's playing at Yankee Stadium and one that's signing uh, big European names, has there's been a halo effect that the Red Bulls have taken advantage of. Although in a lot of the coverage that I saw over the course of the weekend, the Red Bulls were kind of referred to as City's rival and less so as a home team. And I'm curious about what your thoughts are about positioning the Red Bulls as the uh, the unwashed other in the market, despite the fact that they you know, play on the wrong side of the river. Okay, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, for Newsday, I had a, I'm covering it from. I'm just using my myself as an example. For Newsday, I'm covering it as NYCFC because that's closer in circulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I had to write it from that angle. Big Apple. I try no matter who I do a story on, I write it from from their angle. It's more open because it is we cover a market in general, not just one team per se. But um, yes, uh, NYCFC I think has opened up the market, um, the soccer market, uh, to people who wouldn't necessarily cover the sport, like it or not. It's easy to get to Yankee Stadium. It's not that easy to get to Red Bull Arena unless you know how to get there as a fan. You could probably drive with your your um, eyes closed. But uh, you know, it has definitely opened up the awareness. Uh, you know, I hear Michael Kay um, about a month ago talking about the U.S. Women's National Team on on gender equity and whether or not they should get paid more. I mean, could you imagine Michael <laughs> Kay talking about things like that? I, I think that's great. And it has nothing to do with, you know, the Red Bulls or the MLS or anything like that. But it's about soccer and, it, and it's about growing the sport. And it could only help the, the sport in general and help the Red Bulls. Yes, it's tough having another team in the market. But if you don't have NYCFC here, maybe they don't get as much – of publicity it's 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 not an easy balance i understand fans want to read about their team and see their teams and in, in their team in the headline all the time but again if you don't have that team in the city perhaps they 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 don't get mentioned as much one way to uh remedy the situation is to win win a lot yes and maybe yes. win the title too but that'll be up to mr marsh and mr curtis and the rest of the players to concern to concern themselves about that michael before we uh, let you go i, I want to uh, talk about this week's opponent toronto new york will be approaching this match sadly without two top uh, ranked defenders in Paranel who's suspended and kamar lawrence who's injured and they're going to be facing probably the league's most dangerous attacker in giovinco i'm curious what your thoughts are on this upcoming match you know it's funny, we talked about the, the two New York teams. Um, for most of the season, NYCFC's defense has been a disaster, no matter who Christ put back there. Jesse Marsh has done a masterful job, not unlike um, uh, Girardi with the Yankees, of uh, getting the right combination on defense without the, the team embarrassing itself. And uh, I just think 
you know, if, if Zubar is healthy and ready, perhaps he's going to be in the middle there with Miatska. Uh, while he hasn't played as consistently well as Kamar Lawrence, you've got a Roy Miller you could put back on, uh, at left back. I mean, he only played only plays for Costa Rica at the international level. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a disaster. And again, the Red Bulls have had enough enough depth to take care of a lot of problems back on defense this year, from injuries to international call-ups. Um, you know, uh, I, I just think, you know, somehow Jesse Marsh has found the answer for just about each game on who to put in the middle and who to put out on the flanks. And yeah, it's going to look like a, a very makeshift back line, but I, I have an old cliche I like to use. If the midfield wins its battles, it could help the defense because it's always, it always comes down to the midfield. So the midfield plays well, that will help any problems on defense. So I hope I, I didn't make it too convoluted of an answer there. No, no, I like that. I th- and I think for the Red Bulls, that's really been the story all season. And when you've got both uh, Felipe and Dax in the defensive midfield, it definitely relieves a ton of pressure. So do you have a prediction for Saturday night? I think Red Bulls will prevail 2-1. to one. I think they'll find a way to win. Um, uh, the, you know, they're playing at home and they're playing with confidence. They're not a cocky team. Um and I, I think they'll find a way uh, to get three points. You can read Michael Lewis every day at BigAppleSoccer.com and at Newsday as well. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. We hope to talk to you come playoff time. My pleasure. Thank you. Your emails after this. It's Seeing Red. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. We're back in Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin here. Talking Red Bulls solo with you guys. So sorry, guys, um, that neither Dave nor Dan could join this week. I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. We're going to go right to emails, and we're going to see how that rolls. So segment three, all about you, all about your emails. Here's James Casimir of Palisades Park, New Jersey, who says, Mark, Dave, and Dan, I love the show and can't tell you how much it's appreciated as a source of all things Metro and Red Bull. I never miss a show. As this season has progressed, I can't help but notice some of the rather interesting and very familiar similarities to the 96 Yankees. Let me explain. The 94 Yankees had the best record in the American League. The 2013 Red Bulls won the Supporters' Shield. The 95 Yankees, after starting slow, made the playoffs as a wild card and suffered a bitter loss to Seattle. The 2014 Red Bulls, after starting slow, made the playoffs as a play-in club and ultimately suffered a bitter loss to New England. Both clubs fired very popular leaders, Buck Showalter and Mike Petke, much to the dismay of their respective fan bases. Also, both replacements that were hired, Marsh and Joe Torre, were not exactly successful or dynamic at prior stops, and the moves were widely panned. How about two iconic, extremely popular players, Mattingly and Thierry Henry, retiring before the 96 and 2015 seasons, respectively? Could history be repeating itself? Could this team actually make a run at, the, at the, like the Bronx Bombers in 96? Are we in the middle of a championship season and we don't even realize it? I'm starting to believe. Your thoughts? Thanks again and keep up the stellar work. James Cashmere, Palisades Park. That is a very interesting, some very interesting parallels between that club and this club. 
Of course, we're not going to know, but this team is 6-1-1 one, one in their last eight matches, and they are playing very, very well. And they played well during a period, the summer, that the Red Bulls traditionally have not done terribly well in. So um, I think that's great. I think it's very interesting, and of course, we'll see down the road. Here's Gustavo from Jersey City, who writes, Hello, I just wanted to say thank you for the fantastic podcast. I feel refreshed. I refresh my feed like a madman on Thursdays in eager anticipation of new Red Bull goodness, or in this case, Friday. I'm a first-time season ticket holder, Section 131 represent, and I have to say that Sunday's game against Man City Light goes down as one of the greatest communal experiences of my life. The atmosphere was unreal and better than any Mets or Giants game I've ever been to. It was even more electric than the Arsenal game I saw in London against Wolves a few years ago. Just amazing. I tried to no avail to get a Premier League supporter friends of mine to come out to the game because I knew they'd instantly fall in love with Red Bulls and our league if they were there. I just hope everyone shows up again to see us beat Toronto on Saturday. What kind of crowd do you think we can expect to see Josie, Seba, and Bradley play? I'm guessing the presence of those threes would entice people to come out. I'm trying to be as cautious as I can about my optimism, but I really think we have a shot at D.C. and even an outside shot at the Shield if we can stay healthy. Is there a more complete and well-rounded team in MLS than us? I know L.A. is ridiculously stacked, but I'd take my chances against them or anyone from the West in a series. Or a match, if it's MLS Cup, I guess. With that being said, Jesse has a monumental task on his hands. I think managing the player lineup uh, and player morale. Grella continues to make it almost impossible to bench him, and Felipe responded this past week with his, in my opinion, his best game for us. And it's hard to underestimate, and this is uh, me talking here, Felipe definitely stood up, and he started taking shots. Uh, He took a shot from outside the box before he scored, and a a lot of friends of mine and I in the stadium had noted that he's got to make his mark before he concedes his position uh, and heads to the bench in, in favor of Verón. So it'll be very interesting to see well, Felipe, uh, how that works out. Felipe takes a lot of slack, uh, says Gustavo, but I think he's one of those players who does things that don't jump out at you, and you'd feel his absence if he wasn't in the squad. Who's going to get the shaft to make way for Verone and SWP to get more playing time? Let's not forget about Abang and one of my favorites, Davis, who absolutely should get a U23 USA look. Last but not least, it seems that Sam hasn't been himself since he injured himself a month ago. Is that the case? He doesn't seem to go 90 anymore, and he hasn't looked dangerous as he did before the injury. Well, this is my first message. I apologize for the rambling email. I'm pretty pumped. Keep off the awesome work. Um, Given uh, the time constraints, I'm I'm going to say uh, only that I think the crowd hopefully will be around 20,000 on Saturday night. They tend they de- definitely tend to draw obviously better on Saturday night. Um, they don't have many Saturday night games, so I hope all Red Bull fans come out and support the team. Here's Christopher Harrison, who writes, Guys, I continue to enjoy the podcast in its various formations. I count on you for my weekly dose of Red Bull's fan food. Your interviews are insightful and entertaining, and your commentary on the team is honest and enthusiastic. In short, you're awesome. Thanks, Chris. My question regards the academy. After the game on Sunday, Jesse Marsh's first comment was about having three homegrown players in the field, and a recent ESPN article reported the rise of young Matt Miazga to the first team and the U23 national team. It's obvious that having the Red Bulls 2 in the USL has given the youngsters a lot more game experience and the confidence to embarrass Chelsea, but is it making it to the first team bench or even as a starter considered success, or are we looking to get players into the international market a la Southampton? Thanks, and keep up 
about the time and the good work, Christopher. Listen, this is how this works. This is how the model works everywhere in the soccer world, which is you build a strong academy, you build strong young players, and you sell them when they are at the height of their value, and you take that money and you deliver it right back into the academy to do more. And that's how teams like Ajax have, have survived over the last century by being a, a foundation and a foundry for young talent. And so when we think about Mike Miazga's stock, and we, Matt Miazga's stock, excuse me, and we've talked about this a number of times on the show, this is uh, what we're talking about. This is how it's supposed to be. And I, I would be surprised if Miazga stays with the Red Bulls in 2016. He's too young. He's too. Uh, his stock is so high right now that New York can really make a bundle on him and deliver that back into the academy. So I think that's what's going to happen. Here's Chris Moulin, who writes, Dear Mark, Dan, and perhaps Dave, if he brought his submarine up to periscope level for the show, if only... The passion that the 99.999% of the fans have welcomed open arms is really something that makes supporting the Red Bulls special, especially during the game. A huge thank you to all those people. Unfortunately, the Bellows Brawl is a reminder that people who do not know where to stop or worse, intentionally use fandom as an excuse for violence. Passion is never an excuse for violence, period. I'm also sick of hearing the reasoning that MLS asked for this because they wanted passionate supporters groups is ridiculous. Wanting groups of fans that are devoted cheering a team does not in any way mean you want people acting like hooligans. The rivalry with NYCFC has blossomed quickly and has been wonderful overall for both teams and fan bases. The Red Bulls' TIFOs have been excellent and the supporters' groups have been loud and the play on the field has been intense and the banter between my own friends has been fun. That is where the passion should be expressed. What are some things you think MLS or Red Bulls can do to address the issue? Should they implement league-wide bans for individuals and groups that repeatedly violate specific policies, such as inciting or taking part in violence? Should that extend to actions outside the stadium but relating to MLS events? Thanks, as always, for the podcast. The insight and discussions you guys and the guests bring on are always top-notch. Thank you, Chris. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you here. It's uh, where does the league get off saying... Uh, we're going to police a five-mile zone around the stadium in case there's any fan violence. I, I really honestly don't know how they do that. Um, I know in many cases the NYCFC fans that were involved in the altercation have already been banned from NYCFC games. And so, uh, you know, I guess we go to a... Uh, you know, we hand out photos with these guys' names uh, at the gate at all away stadiums to make sure they don't get in. I'm really not sure. Um, the league hasn't made a public comment about this event. I honestly don't know, though, how without uh, photo evidence of each individual, I don't think you can bring something down on an entire group. Um, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Our friend Tom Faust says, Gents, my fellow Red Bull fans and I are frustrated, and we're hoping you can help. We're faced with not having much to complain about. It's uncomfortable, to say the least. Sure. We could trot out the old reliables like lousy Red Bull Arena concessions or path train woes. We could even talk about Sasha-driven sloppiness in the midfield over the past few games or the threat of hooliganism. But an objective look at the club leaves very little to be angry about. The plan seems to be working from management to coaching to play on the field. Success at every level of the academy points to an even brighter future. How can the Red Bulls do this to us? <clears throat> Please give us some topics that will stoke the fires of that classic Red Bull New York rage. Your pal, Tom Faust. 
that's an awesome email, Tom. <laughs> that is awesome. And it's really amusing when you consider how well things are going. It's just very, very strange. Um, I don't know. I guess we can complain about folks not showing up. How about that? And obviously they showed up with the help of a lot of Blue fans on Sunday. But I'm very curious to see how the crowd does this Sunday, especially with Jersey Legends, Altidore, and Bradley coming back. But that's a great point. It's We're not accustomed to this. The winner of our best email of the week is Britt Bird. Hey, guys. It's Monday morning, and I'm basking in the glory of our season sweep when I pick up the copy of the Daily News and flip to the sports section and eventually see the Southward's TIFO as the leading image of their story. However, while the article could only say good things about how the Red Bulls played on our matchday atmosphere, it was written thoroughly as an NYCFC were the hometown team. The Red Bulls were mentioned as rivals, but never as a New York team. How does this happen? I know that Empire of Soccer and Brian Lewis at the Post cover both the teams as hometown teams, but it seems like the Daily News and even the Times, when they deign to grace us with their presence, seem to be genuinely unaware that the Red Bulls are from New York. Should the comms team be making some sort of better effort to make sure each paper's guy on the soccer beat is in the loop? I've got no problem being the Mets of the market, so to speak, but I think it's a mistake to be more like the Devils, even though I do love my friends in New Jersey. I think the huge lines at the pass station last night and other sellouts show that we have a significant following in the five boroughs, even if we don't buy the ad space that don't move as much merch. What do you guys think? Are places like the Daily News intent on treating the city as the hometown team no matter what? Treating city, excuse me. I've dialed back my concern from earlier in the season, thanks to three wins, but it still seems like we're wasting this opportunity. Cheers, Brit Bird. P.S. Grilino has got to be considered for Newcomer of the Year, right? So yes on that. I mean, that's that's terrific. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, we talked about it with Michael Lewis earlier. Um, these are, in many cases, these are media outlets that barely covered MLS and the Red Bulls before... NYCFC arrived, so you can understand, I guess. In terms of uh, the comms team reaching out, I assure you, over 20 years, the comms team has been very, very active in trying to get the attention of the New York sports media. We did have coverage on uh, NBC Channel 4, I know. They've always been very good to the Red Bulls. Um, I think just winning and filling up the stadium, I don't think there's anything more that New York can do to make this change. Um so thanks so much, uh, Britt. You're going to have a prize voucher heading your way. And thank you so much for listening to Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Sorry it's just me, guys. Uh, I know I, we are going to hope and pray that, uh, that at least there will be a partial Voltron next week. And uh, I'd like to thank Michael Lewis for taking part in the show, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Uh, so thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for listening to Seeing Red. Have a good night. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com. 